Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Hudson Westwire football podcast. We're still here, Jeremy here, Matt. We're still doing previews when we're in town and not dying, essentially. So <laughs> <laughs> that stuff happens. I think mwire.com's website, if you're wondering who these yahoos are. But Matt, was our last podcast the uh, Big Ten expansion palooza like two weeks ago almost? Yeah, you know, th- things come up. It's the off season. But we, we are still rounding into form. We are still full go on, on this and every other team preview we have coming. So if we haven't done your team yet, don't worry. It'll be here. Uh, I guess we're within 50 days now. So be it have to be within the next 50 days, but we got you covered. Probably 40 days. Well, and also just with the stuff not able to be recorded out of town and other stuff, we'll probably have a couple podcasts within a week over the next couple weeks to kind of catch back up. So you'll get some bonus after a tiny break for whatnot and stuff going on. Unless you never had a break and you just found this and you listen straight through, then keep listening. But we're here. We got teams. We're doing San Diego State today, who is, uh, I think they're a pretty good football team, Matt. Is that the case? The Aztecs, they've been uh, solid in the Mountain West the past five plus years, five-ish years. Generally, generally speaking, yeah. <laughs> so what we typically do, we kind of go through last year and this year, or beginning of the year, coaching turnover, if there's any how they ended up last year. Last year, they won the West Division Championship. And this will be the last time I mention this because I did see a tweet mentioning this about when we're doing our preview for this team. They did make it to the Mountain West Championship game, but um, came up short. Is uh, is that the right way to put it? Are they to get blown out? Or people are still complaining about COVID tests for their tight ends. That's still a thing apparently people are not over from last year. I mean, it it definitely left sort of a a sour taste, if only because it was a team that had to that point been so successful. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was obviously a team that was very good. um, But, you know, the way I sort of framed 2021 when I was thinking about the entire thing is, you know, a little little luck and a lot of skill can go a long way. And I think that that was definitely the case for, for last year's Aztecs, who... You know, in retrospect, you know, they won 12 games. They got to the championship game, like you said. Um, you know, they were a top 50 team by SP plus overall. Um, you know, t- nearly top 40 in terms of net points per drive. Um, you know, above average and available yards percentage. But, you know, one of the big things that, you know, maybe gets overlooked in, in, in reflecting on last year's team is the fact that they were also 6-0 in games decided by eight or fewer points. But the reason I think that that is so easy for a lot of fans to overlook is because they knew exactly what they wanted to be and they executed accordingly. So, 
you know, when you look back at like what made them successful last year, obviously it was the defense. You know, a lot of those metrics I just mentioned, actually, basically every single one of them I just mentioned had everything to do with, you know, the defense, you know, in terms of SP plus, for example, um, they were, they were 92nd on offense. So maybe not as bad as I think, I I think they definitely improved upon their preseason projections from last year. Um, But it was definitely still below average in terms of like the the country, Uh, but they were 12th on defense which I believe was like their third straight year where they were in the top 15 by that metric. Same thing with points per drive uh, by net points per drive top, you know, 42nd overall uh, on offense. They were 94th defense. They were seventh. Same thing with the uh, available yards percentage on offense. They were 115th and on defense, they were seventh. but in a lot of ways it didn't matter because they they knew exactly what kind of game plan they wanted to execute. And, you know, I would say other than the Utah State game, there really wasn't ever a time where they weren't able to do what they intended to. You know, they were a top 10 team in terms of average field position on both sides of the ball. Um, and, and, and also on defensive success rate, uh, expected points added allowed per play. Um, you know, I was sort of, I was doing research for this particular podcast and, yeah, you know, we knew that they were really aggressive about letting Matt Ariza take a lot of field goal tries. Uh, and, uh, excuse me, Parker Fleming uh, at Stats of War on Twitter actually made note that the Aztecs had, on average, the longest field goal attempt of any team in the FBS last year. How far um, was it? I think it was like 42.6 yards from on average. Oh, average. I think they made the longest. In on average, yeah, which, oh, which is pretty significant. You know, they. I, 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 I wish I had a rise's numbers in front of me, but I knew that he had a lot of 40 and 50 yard tries. And, you know, that was part of the plan. Um, but, you know, at the same time, they made improvements that maybe weren't as obvious throughout the course of the season too. Like the offense did very quietly get better down the stretch. And a lot of that had to do with improved quarterback play. And the question now, as we look forward to 2022, is whether they continue to put those same clamps on their opponents so efficiently while replacing a few major contributors. But as I'm sure Aztecs fans will be happy to remind you, this is something that they've, that they've done before. Like you, you mentioned at the onset, like this is one of the most successful group of five teams anywhere in the country over the last five years. That's because they know how to replace talent. And so this yeah. is just a, a, another chapter in, in, in their ability to do that. Yeah, these guys like Cameron Thomas on offense, or excuse me, on defense, which they'll have somebody else step up typically. You know, they always have that guy who will be, who is, oh, he was pretty good last year, and he'll make that big leap going into 2022, or just another guy who's really good that just gets even better. And the team will get to everything going forward. The coaching staff stays pretty much the same with uh, Kurt Mannix. You have um, Brady Hoke there, coaching the offense, defense there. The big thing, I guess, overall, can get to it. But it's all it's we kind of let me step back. They are the team who we know what they're going to be. They have guy defense is going to be amazing. If the offense can be being a top hundred offense, it's not ideal. But what did you say they were ninety second SP plus last year overall on offense? Yeah, offense. So if they like, here's the thing. Like I say, it's for years, and this could be a knock or not a knock, but like could be said for a million, a handful of teams, or a lot of teams in any conference in college football. But if they have a quarterback that's average. A little bit better than Christian Chatton, what they had a couple years ago when they're doing basically doing what they're doing now, but a bit better, more explosive offensively, a little bit better. If they have a guy who's a little bit better than him, they would be 
there would be there'd be no contest in the conference. Imagine if they had an offense that's open a little bit more, and like not even Jay Kaner, but some guy like I don't know, Hank Bachmeyer, who should be a pretty good quarterback, but he's kind of like, well, third team, fourth team in that range. If they had a middle, just slightly above average quarterback, like if they had shave shave on Cordero, like this team could be elite, elite. If they had a quarterback on him, who's who's where he is an above average quarterback, in my opinion, within the conference, not even a great quarterback. But we'll see what they have this year because they have Jesse Matthews returning, who per play, per catch, per whatever, not told about per put an insert stat here. He's well, he's, he was our first team wide receiver in our all conference, one of our quarter our receivers on that team. And then they bring in the transfer from Virginia Tech, who we'll see because was it um oh shoot um who went to Montana State? Uh oh shoot. Um that was oh, which uh, I believe it was Lucas Johnson went to yeah, Montana. Yeah, Lucas Johnson. Yeah. Montana, yeah. And Berkshire is not here either. So, yeah, Lucas Johnson, I'm like, I knew that guy who played well. He played pretty well when he came in, and Berkshire's not around anymore. But it's going to be, I guess, the quarterback. It's Braxton Burmeister, excuse me, from Virginia Tech. And the biggest throw ball offseason, Matt, is like, well, he had a broken ribs and played half the season with Virginia Tech. I'm like, cool. I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he put up those numbers. That's fine. We'll see what he can do. He had 14 touchdowns, four, four interceptions, uh, almost 2,000 yards last year, 12 starts. He had the injury for half the year. And the funny thing is, which is really a good comp, is Virginia Tech, not that much different than San Diego State, what they want to do typically. Virginia Tech may not run the ball as well, but they're defense-focused, special team-focused, and the offense, minus like Mike Vick two decades ago, has never been an elite, elite offense. They've been winning – Remember that game? Was it 0-0 when they played Wake Forest but he could overtime or something? Was that them? Yeah, it's the famous meme. Yeah. And so he's on a team where he's typically – he knows either, A, he doesn't need to do as much, or it's a defensive-focused team and they're more conservative on offense. And so he's not going from – and he can run the ball as well. He had, what, 700 yards in his career, I believe it was, something like that, or maybe last year was, if I recall. So, so, yeah, I'll talk more about that in a moment. yeah. Yeah. But point being, he's that he's going from a team where his I guess it's his job. Um, what they want him to do is not much different from Virginia Tech to San Diego. He's not going to be coming. He's not coming in to ask to win the football game for the Aztecs. Is what I'm getting. Okay, so before I talk more specifically about Burmeister in particular, there were a couple of things I wanted to mention first because. You know, looking back at last year, no Lucas Johnson nor Jordan Brookshire were, were all-conference caliber type quarterbacks. But between the two of them, they gave the Aztecs exactly what they needed, especially in the second half of the year. And I think it's really instructive to you know look at the split between the first eight games and the last six that the team played. So basically everything before November and everything from November onwards. So in, the, in those first eight games, for example... The Aztecs as a team had a 53% completion rate, so not great. 5.9 yards per attempt, also not great. Seven touchdowns, which again in eight eight games could be better, could be worse, uh, and a 2.2% interception rate. So that's probably okay. It could be a little better, but it could be a lot worse. But in the last six games of the year, the completion rate went up by about 10%. It was 63.1%. The yards per attempt, the bowl game as well. It does include the bowl game. Um, so the the completion rate goes up by ten percent. 
the yards per attempt goes up by over one full yard per pass to 7.1, nine touchdowns, a 0.6 interception rate. They had one interception down the stretch. And the Frisco Bowl, which you just mentioned, was the first game that the program had with at least 300 passing yards and more than one passing touchdowns since. Ryan Do you want to take a wild stab before I tell you? Ryan Lindley was quarterback, right? You know what? I didn't look it up. I could tell you, the, but uh, you know, based on the year, I believe that he would have been. What year? Twenty twelve. Twenty eleven. Yeah, probably him. Most likely. Since the twenty eleven New Orleans Bowl. So, so, <laughs> oh, you know, with that in mind, like it's important to remember that you know the offense was, you know, it was maybe a little bit better. Like it wasn't a great offense. But it was an offense that subtly improved from the first half to the second half of last year. That's and weird, as though, real quick, because it. every game, like those four of those games, three of those games were by less than one touchdown. Like their points oh, went I'm, down during that time, which is weird. And 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 as I mentioned on the onset, it's important to remember that they defied preseason expectations on that side of the ball too. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I, and, and, uh, you know, the, the delay in recording this podcast actually proved to be a little bit fortuitous because one of the things that has been revealed in the last week or so is the combined F plus rankings, which if you're not familiar with it, um, first of all, go order the football outsiders almanac. Um, it tells you everything you need to know about the NFL and college football, but basically F plus is a combination of SP plus, which we like to talk about often on this podcast and the FEI metric, which is Brian Fumo's metric. So, uh, you know, what we talked about earlier with regards to like net points per drive um, and, and uh, advanced, excuse me, available yard percentage, that's Brian Fumo's uh, place. So it's like, you know, play by play efficiency and drive by drive efficiency. And coming into this year, coming into 2022, the Aztecs have a projection of 113th on offense. Hmm. And just based off of past precedents, I'm I'm sort of expecting that they will beat that projection pretty handily. And, I, and a lot of that is going to come down to, as I can turn my attention now, to Burmeister, who, you know, on paper is probably one of the biggest X factors anywhere in the conference. Because, you know, you mentioned the injuries, and, and that's definitely one thing, you know, that, but to me, the thing that's more concerning is the fact that he's been a little scattershot, you know, throughout his career, not just at Virginia Tech, but at Oregon before that. Like he's only got a fifty-six percent completion rate in his in his college career. Hey, I'll but, right in, Bing, boom. <laughs> Sorry, but in those sixteen games that he played with the Hokies, he averaged seven point eight yards per attempt. He had a one point four percent interception rate. And with and and he had 714 rushing yards, and that's before. Excuse me, that's after adjusting for sacks. Like last year alone, he ran for over 700 yards before you account for sacks. Mm-hmm. And he had 21 touchdowns in 16 games, and he did that while being hurt. So I have to think that given an offense that arguably probably has more skill position talent than the Hokies did last year, is is definitely going to have a better offensive line than the Hokies did last year. Uh, and we'll talk more about the, the Aztecs offensive line in, in a few minutes. But I think if he can stay healthy, if the Aztecs can keep him on his feet, like if you go look at his highlights, like he's a guy who can make plays with his arm and his leg. He can make throws and he can break off big run plays. It's just a matter of, of you know, keeping him 
close enough to 100% that he's going to be able to do that for 12 or 13 games. And if they can't, then, you know, I know that, you know, Aztecs fans are excited for the future in Will Haskell. Um, but, you know, I have to hope that, you know, that if the plan A is that Burmeister stays healthy and, and he's the one that leads to another championship and that Haskell gets another year to learn behind him. But if not, then Haskell better be ready because that's definitely within their own possibility. Oh, he better be. And with his legs, like running that many yards, that's a little bit what Lucas, what they had Lucas Johnson do here and there last year. Like the mm-hmm. quarterback, they mixed in the runs. I still remember like that Nevada game a couple years ago, he played that well. And last year, even in the bowl game, yeah, he threw for 330-something yards. But he could run well. So it's, again, he's coming to an offense that's not much different than what he had before. And Aztecs are doing the same type of uh, situation they've been doing at quarter under center. But I think this year, like, we'll get to all the talents. Like, they technically, yeah, they do lose, like, Greg Belt running back. Um, but their depth is always amazing. The offensive line brings in a lot of guys who played a lot last year. We'll get to all that. But I think he's a guy where he's going to come in. Again, if he's healthy, he's going to be better. Because if you're broken ribs, that hurts to throw. And he's still running with that. He probably had it on those big old flak jackets, so it still hurt. But now as much get the cortisone shot before the game. So the pain's kind of minimal or as less as possible. They kind of drug you up with pain stuff, whatever you're – able to take those type of things to numb it so you can move around and maybe it's completion percentage gets better if he's not wearing that from last year. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of semantic at this point for, I don't know how hurt he was, but he didn't miss games. He played the whole year while injured, which, and he played fine, not great, but it wasn't terrible. You know what I mean? Like if you're running and getting hurt that butt and being that, that type of injured, that shows he has some guts and we'll go out there and play. And again, he's the biggest question mark. Because most people thought it'd be Will Haskell, but this guy comes in, transfers in Burmeister from Virginia, Virginia Tech, and if he, again, he doesn't need to be the hero, just be, well, all we want, Aztecs want is what? What do you want, Matt? 59% completion rate, what, 18 touchdowns, four interceptions is probably fine for the year? Is that good enough? You joke, but, like, that's what Christian Chapman gave them in 2017. Where do you think I'm getting these numbers from? Come on. I, exactly. Like, don't turn it over. Be right around 60% and let the running game, assuming the running game is that good. But, however, I think they could exceed that potentially and we'll get the receivers because Jesse Matthews is back. But there's not much more to say. Broken ribs, he'll find. It's not a soft tissue thing. It's not a concussion CTE type thing where it can come back if you tweak like hamstring, ligaments, whatever. It's not an Achilles or it's – your a massive, massive injury takes forever to come back from, and people are in the same. It's just a bro- like a broken bone, broken rib, not a problem in my opinion. So I don't know where he'll be. He didn't make our first fourteen quarterback. We'll pro- I'll probably me and our all of our group will probably put to- put together some quarterback ranking. Or did you did you do that in like February, March? I forget. Did you put something up like that? Well, I did it post spring. That was part of that whole. I forget a while. That and, I did. Oh yeah, we ranked all the quarterbacks. You don't have that in front of you, do you? Real quick. I believe I had a middle of the pack. That's what I'm thinking. Like he's probably obviously behind Bachmeyer, Hayner, um, Zeke Daniels, pro- probably in the shave on Cordero range. So like probably above Clay Millen, obviously CSU, above over Nevada has, above New Mexico, above UNLV. So yeah, five to seven is where he probably is right now. If they're going to uh, maybe repeat, not repeat, but I guess repeat West Division or win the conference, he would need to be top four essentially, I think. Yeah. All right, so where's next? Running back, offensive line, where do you want to lead us? I mean, I think, that, you know, the, you know the, the running game probably needs to give them a little bit more, too, because, mm-hmm. 
it's easy to point to the defense as being sort of the hallmark of their success, but what really made them special when they were winning conference championships was, I mean, for, for, for lack of a better term, it was uh, Rashad Penny and Danelle Pumphrey dominating for that was three or Pum- four year stretch. Yeah. And Pumphrey is like the first on quarterback to win the player of the year in a long time. And so it's like when the, there's that, or when Greg Bell was during the COVID year, like they started off really good and faded fast when he got hurt. I would, I think you're correct in saying their defense, the rushing game is almost as important as their defense when the, for them to be like an elite unit or elite team. Yeah. And so, which is not to say that the running game has been bad in the years since, but it has definitely been closer to okay than that same kind of elite running game that they had in sort of the, in the mid 2010s. You know, case in point, yeah, Greg Bell ran for over a thousand yards last year, but he only averaged 4.45 yards per carry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, between the, the top three running backs last year, you know, Greg Bell, Chance Bell, and Kagan Williams, you know, none of those guys cracked five yards of carry. Jordan Bird only had 36, you know, rushing attempts, but he averaged over six yards, per, you know, every time he touched the ball. If they can move a little bit back in that direction, I think that that would bode well for their chances to, you know, especially if, if there is regression elsewhere on both sides of the ball. And I think a resurgent running game is is going to be one of those things that sort of fixes that for them but the question there is okay well are they going to continue with the same sort of loose running back committee that they've had over the last couple of years or are they going to find someone who i would presume is probably chance bell um as as the guy who you know not only leads all the returning rushers in, in rushing attempts from last year but for his career has averaged right around 4.6, 4.7 yards per carry. So he's been pretty rock solid in part-time duty, but are they expecting him to be a, a penny slash Juwan Washington slash uh, Pumphrey type? Because it hasn't no. been since Washington, I think in 2018, that was the last time they had a running back average 20 carries a game. And Richard Penny, that 2017 year was literally historic. 7.78 yards per carry, 2,200 yards, 23 touchdowns. That's not happening. He he beat Lexington Thomas by almost 1,000 yards that year for the rushing title. No, what, what I'm talking about is the, is the, the, the fact that last year, for well, example, Greg Bell averaged about 17 carries per game. That year that well, you talked about too, 2017, yeah. Penny was at 22. That's what I mean. Yeah, he had 289 carries in 13 games. Yeah, like between he and Juwan Washington that year, there was it was basically like 32 carries a game. Last year, between the top three, it was you know 17 and a half plus five and a half. That's what 24. 22, 24, yeah. And then you and then you throw Kagan Williams in there. That's like you know 28 and a half. So it's like the makeup of the ground game is a little bit different in the past few years. And so I'm wondering, is like, is it is it going to be more of that? And and if so, like is is Chance Bell's share of the workload going to be as big as Greg Bell's was? Is it going to be a little bit smaller? And if so, then who are the primary beneficiaries going to be behind him? Is it is Jordan Bird going to get another touch or two per game? Because I think you know of the the group that is likeliest to contribute, he's definitely like the home run hitter of the bunch. Um, but you know, beyond that, Jalen Armstead could be in line for for a bigger role. And I think you know, relative to the other running backs on the roster, when you look at him at five eleven and two hundred twenty pounds, that's the kind of physicality that that nobody else in the backfield is going to be able to bring. Or maybe a guy like you, the uh, Keenan Kristen, who transferred from USC, 
or Cam Davis, retro freshman, who apparently had a very strong spring practice session. That's five guys right there who could theoretically see, you know, a handful of carries at a minimum per game. And so it's going to be, uh, I would say, maybe a tougher than expected task for offensive coordinator Jeff Eklinski to try and, you know, keep everybody happy while also finding a balance that's going to help this team win ball games. Yeah, and what do we can look back to? Go to 2019 when it was Brocky Long's last year, and Brady mm-hmm. Hoke was the what D line coach at that time. Yeah, do not D line coach. Juwan Wash like this might be a more good comparable year. Their running game wasn't great overall. Juwan like Juwan Washington, I think he had heard the year. I'm guessing so maybe it's not the best accurate uh, accurate comparison. But they went four guys with 78 or more carries, and their leading rusher like Washington had 500 yards that year. And they had like mm-hmm. Chance Bells on that team, Chase Jasmine, those guys, Jordan Bird as well. It's so like some of the names we're talking about even right now, a couple years ago. I don't know if it'd be like that. If I recall, Washington was hurt, but it's been years since they've had like we mentioned the Penny getting twenty something carries per game. I yeah, I they've been here's the thing, they've been successful while spreading it out a little bit more. So because when they had Penny, Pumphrey, and I forget the third guy back years ago, they were third guy. You're talking about like Adam Moima. Yeah, maybe Adam Wayma. Maybe yeah, when he was or, like or Chase in. Price. Chase Price is pretty good as a as a as a part time player too. Something like that when they had Pumphrey and uh, yeah, yeah, Penny. Yeah, they had some third guy. So doing that again, they they won. But back then, those guys, the number one guy, was just off the charts, getting drafted NFL, winning Player of the Year. To even but, but, but when Greg Bell did last year, they still won the conference or won their division, won their division in the conference title game. So doing both works. I think if the, if Chance Bell happens to come if Bell happens to come out here and does this amazing thing and goes off and he's getting dumped, get five plus five five point five yards per carry, yeah, he'll get a majority. But I think they're gonna probably want to spread it out because that's what Brady Hoke has always been around. That's what they've always done. And why why make any change to that when unless your one number one guy actually can handle it, but we won't know until a couple of games in. So it's gonna be split regardless. But I think your main guy should be fifteen carries. It's gonna be Bell per game. It's gonna be Bell. I think you're probably right. Yeah. And yeah, we'll see how it goes. And their schedule's not easy early. They got Arizona. I know they got Idaho State. They got Utah. They got Toledo. Not, e- not easy early on. So I'm expected just to kind of cycle through 15, 8, and 4 or something like that for carries. <clears throat> Makes sense. So what about the offensive line? They bring back a couple all-conference players, uh, transfers coming in, a lot of talent back because, you know, that's what the Aztecs do. They run the ball well. They have a good offensive line match. Well, they're, they're replacing two NFL draft picks. So I, they still – trust me, they got the depth there. Don't – come on. But you're not wrong. Losing two NFL draft guys is difficult, too, to recover from. But, and, but I mean, you know, obviously, you know, quarterbacks, you know, get the lion's share of the conversation and, and skill position players are, are – you know, their contributions are obviously easier to see when you're watching a game. But, you know, the way I was thinking about this year's Aztecs offensive line is, like, one way or another – they're going to be young, they're going to be large, and they're going to be fierce. But yeah. at the same time, is it going to be any better than last year? Or will it be worse than last year? I don't know. Or, they have... you know within their own possibility, will it end up being about the same as it was last year? Because, you know, on the one hand, you know, they, they did a couple of things really well. Like in short yardage situations, they were uh, a pretty efficient bunch. You know, they were 19th overall in the country in power success rate. Um, but by a lot of other metrics, they were really only okay 
up front. You know, by, by line yards per carry, for example, they were 77th in the country, 2.62 average line yards per carry. You know, by stuff rate, they were 75th, 18.1. Um, by team sack rate allowed, it was 6.3. So that was you know, 64th nationally, right around the national average. And, and, you know, maybe most relevant to a resurgent running game, you know, the fact that their opportunity rate was only 46%, that was 84th nationally. So they weren't enabling their runners to get to the second level at the same rate that, you know, those running backs that we talked about a, a couple minutes ago were able to in, in previous years. So we know that they have at least a couple of, of rock solid contributors. You know, Alama Uluwabe is He's probably like the most established and decorated center in the Mountain West at this point. Yep. You know, owing to Our a lot of graduations team. elsewhere. At, at a minimum, he's like the, he's like this. He's at worst, he's like the second best center in in the conference, depending on who ends up starting at Air Force. Um, yeah. And then beyond him, you know, Brandon Crenshaw Dixon held it down as that right tackle last year. You know, it, it was a pretty decent first year as a starter. But now all of a sudden you're looking at a lot of other newer faces who are going to have to step up and contribute. You know, you mentioned they went to the transfer portal. Um, you know, not only did they used to have to bring in Burmeister, they used to bring in uh, uh, Cade Bennett from Oklahoma State. Um, and, but beyond that, too, it's really going to be the first test for a lot of, you know, highly regarded, you know, mid to high three-star recruits that they've, that they've brought in over the last couple of years as well. So you look at that group, you know, some combination of like John Harrison, Ross Lugalamasiuli, Kyle Trombley, Xavier Thomas. Those guys are going to be taking on larger roles than they had to when, when Zachary Thomas and William Dunkel were running the show. You know, a couple of those guys are going to be brand new starters. And if it takes a little time for that unit to gel then that could be one of those things that it, like, it's really hard to predict, but that is one of those things that could hold them back from, from breaching their ceiling. Um, but it, it, but it could also be that, you know, they have their ups, they have their downs and they end up being, you know, right around the same kind of offensive line that they were last year. And if that's the case, then you remember that this was still a team that won 12 games last year and they weren't a total disaster on offense, despite what a lot of uh, skeptics would have you believe. They're just not great at offense. That's all it is. But they're efficient when it counts. But if it's yeah. if it's weird to say they could lose two NFL draft picks to offense one be possibly just as good as last year. Well, and that's right? and that's a testament to the recruit. That's that's recruiting more so oh, yeah, than anything else. Talent. Well, I'm just saying, but for any team in the country, like, hey, we lose two starters out, out of the position, they're gonna be as good or better. And it's like uh, outside of like Ohio State or Alabama, who's really who can really say with confidence that's the case. Yeah. Not maybe. All right, should we go to the receiving group? Yeah, let's do it. Where I, I think Matt really enjoys himself, Jesse Matthews catching touchdown passes because he always correct me about he's that good. Look at the efficiency of what he does, and that's why he's our first team wide receiver on our All Mountain West team. If you haven't checked it out, go. I've, I've long and, been a Jesse Matthews supporter. I'm I'm pleased to see that other people have caught up. Yeah, I say second half of last year he had. Uh, Gosh, I wish I thought I had in front of me, but he had like a what six five straight games with a touchdown, six straight games, something like that. And up having yeah, I believe so. Yeah, nine touchdowns, 12 almost 12 yards, 11, 12 yards per catch. He got 57 passes. And what this offense is, we know what it's going to be. And with him being nine touchdowns on 57 catches and what he did in the red zone and just getting him the ball, if they, I think 
if they're smart, I don't know. They should use them a little bit more. But it's like, what do you want to see about that? Does the efficiency stay if he gets say two more two more passes thrown away thrown his way? Maybe I don't know. It's hard to tell sometimes. Like diminishing return if he gets a few more touches, a few more catches. Maybe one's not a catch, just a one a short four yard gain or something. But then again, it could be a couple more touchdowns. I think they should use him a little bit more because we know what the offense is they're going to run the ball first. They want to offensive line, offensive line. We talked about maybe a little bit of running with the quarterbacks, but they're just going to want to just get Matt. Give me a few more passes. If they, if this Burmester kids, what they say, give Jesse Matthews a few more, a few more balls win. see what he can do. Get him more respect. Give him that double digit touchdown season. He deserves. Now, see, I think it's less about Matthews and more about the other guys who are going to be expected to, to take on more among the pass catchers. And, and I think that that's, a, you know, when you, when you put it in context, Matthews is the only guy on the roster right now who had at least 20 catches in either of the last two seasons. It's a feat for the Aztecs. <laughs> so, you know, I'm looking for the guys who are, are, are likely to start week one at, at Snapdragon Stadium. So like guys like Tyrell Shavers, for example, who, you know, granted, he, you know, his, his raw numbers don't necessarily leap off the page. Let's say, I think he only had like what, 18 catches last year, 213 yards, two touchdowns. When yeah. you break it down game by game, he did take on more in the second half of last year. Um, you know, he had at least two catches in five of the last seven games. Um, you know, one of the games that he missed, um, coincidentally enough was that, was that championship game. Um, and so I think, you know, he's likely to be pretty good, even if his numbers don't scream like, you know, all conference type wide receiver. I don't think they need him to be. But beyond those two, there's a lot more what I what I tend to call like prove it in the ranks. So like, you know, Breon Penny had a really good spring. I think he had like, what, three touchdowns in the spring game or something like that. I believe so. But, you know, how is that going to translate if he's playing, you know, 20, 30 snaps a game? You know, same thing with a guy like TJ Sullivan, who at least according to Phil Steele, I think he's slotted into the starting lineup. Yes, TJ um, Sullivan is, yeah. Yeah, he's been, he's been more of a part-time player over the last couple of years. So, like, what is he going to well, do with, with more snaps, catch more lost. routes run per day? Uh, or a guy like Makai Shaw, who only saw – he played four games, had a couple catches in a couple of different games. So, those guys, I think, are going to be more important to the bottom line than, than someone like Matthews. I think everybody knows Matthews is going to get a lot of attention – deservedly so um and and can probably continue to be expected to make a highlight real catch every other week or something like that but it's those other guys here your your shavers and shavers is excuse me your pennies or sullivan's that i think are going to have a, a, a much bigger influence same thing with the tight ends too because they're also having to replace daniel bellinger um and and we don't know if there's anybody who has is the same kind of pass catcher on the roster. I mean, I think it's safe to say that like Jay Rudolph can definitely play in line and be a solid blocker, but you know, who's going to be that other guy and, and, you know, it presents a big target over the middle, for example, is it going to be uh, Aaron green? Is it going to be Mark Redmond who came in from Washington? Um, we don't really know, but that's something that they're going to have to figure out. And that I think is going to be a really important question to resolve. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Especially if they have the depth behind him. Matthews, I should say, is uh, pretty limited. So are they going to have – we didn't even mention a lot, like with Daniel Bellinger, stuff like that, tight ends. Who's going to – what what are guys doing? I don't know. It's just the – it's not an Air Force offense where, oh, there'll be one guy, which we know it's Matthews. There's not, not going to be some random guy step up. 
it's it's going to be it could be concerned, which may lead us back back to running game with how many carries Bell or whoever's going to get. But if they have all these new receivers outside of Matthews in tight ends, like Bellinger's out there, that might be a thing where they could throw to Meister again even less, which is not what I want to see here. Throw the ball. Well, like let, let's put it this way: like in 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 my opinion, the question is, who can be that Kobe Smith type guy? Because, you know, back in 2018, or excuse me, 2019, and, and maybe a little bit less so in 2020, you know, Smith was the number one guy, and, and Matthews was the guy who was sort of the wide receiver, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those roles definitely changed over the prior two seasons. But I think that they need that one complementary piece. And if I were going to put my money on it, I would guess that it would probably be Shavers. But this has yeah, always been a plan. team that has never had one guy going out there, you know, racking up what 70 catches for a thousand yards it's always been an offense that has like four or five guys catching you know 20 30 passes and still averaging you know 11 12 13 yards per catch exactly what what them successful in the past yeah if you include shavers 18 per game 18 not per game but catches at five guys 18 plus catches three with 20 plus or yeah. one with 23 31 with 31 57 but that's the thing. They need one guy and then spread it out and spread it out parts. Like, eh, well, that's what happened for Arizona week one. That's what I guess. Exactly. Thinking, right. <laughs> so defense, do we need even to say anything? Defense is good to move on to schedule and record. <laughs> or, or, or do we have to mention Cameron Thomas is longer on the team, I guess. And they have guys Cameron like Thomas. Cooper. Yeah, he is gone. <laughs> Cooper McDonald well, and, and Katie McDonald's there. They got guys. They got a McDonald guys back there. They're good. Everywhere is good. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> So, so let's start by putting what this defense has done in context. Because Fine, we'll out, talk about that type of stuff. <laughs> flat out, it has been one of the best defenses in the country for three years running, at a minimum. Mm-hmm. But, but, the, but the key is, the, or maybe the, the rub, is that it's a very high bar to clear again. Like in, in terms of, you know, I think I talked about available yards percentage. Um you know, three years in a row, I think they've been in the top eight or top nine among all FBS teams. So like, that's, that's a very difficult thing to ask them to try and do for a fourth straight season. But also when you look at what they did last year on the side of the ball in particular, they were number one in the Mountain West in yards per play allowed, number one in third down conversion rate allowed, number one in opponents passer rating. And pausing here for emphasis, but they also did get pushed down the stretch a little bit on this side of the ball too. And yeah. while it was a very good defense, there were some things that they could have improved upon. You know, for example, they were really only average in terms of team sack rate, which you might not expect with so many playmakers up front, but their, their sack rate was only 6.7%. That was 65th. That is exactly average. And now they're going to have to figure out how to do it without their most disruptive playmaker. But the good news is they have a lot of other playmakers. They always have playmakers. Well, they will, you know, not because obviously Thomas was like, he was like the big guy who who made quarterbacks' lives miserable, but he wasn't the only one because Sean Banks is still back. Jonah Tavai is still back. And oh, by the way, those two guys combined for 25 tackles for loss and 13 and a half sacks last year. And they also brought in Justice Devai, Jonah's brother from Hawaii. Yep, comes in. Still going to be likely starting that defensive tackle spot. Yeah, so so like that right there, that's your starting defensive line, and that is if you're if you're measuring it pound for pound against 
you know, other units on both sides of the ball anywhere in the conference. Like this is in the conversation for the best unit anywhere in the Mountwest. Yeah, I could totally see that. Trying to think real quick, but yeah, I could. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd say that right now. Yeah, sure. And, And we haven't even talked about the fact that they're potentially very deep up front too, which has always been one of their strengths and probably should continue to be so. Because, uh, you know, not only do they have that starting trio, but they also brought in Devin Lamp via the transfer portal from Tulsa. They've got, you know, a lot of veterans returning, Garrett Fountain, Daniel Lopoko, Nasir Sims. So again, right there, that's like seven guys who for three spots that should enable Maddox to just, you know, rotate guys in and out and keep throwing bodies at, you know, whatever, what, you know, whatever offense lines up and, uh, against them from week to week. Like this is a, a group that may not have a superstar anymore, for now. but they've got at least a few stars and a lot of rock solid role players behind them who can step up and get the job done. Yeah. Cause usually it's like, Oh, backups are in. It's like, okay, we get a little breather. Nope. This guy is just all basically the same guy I faced before. And with exactly. that depth, that, that'll, with what Aztecs do when they want to ground the ball out, take use the clock, take time. Teams only have so much time to – that gives their defense plenty of time to rest. And whether they sub or not, but like fourth quarter, late in, the, late in the situation where they're rotating guys in, that doesn't matter. I'm pretty sure they'll have confidence any of those six, seven guys up front to play. Plus, they do the four, two, five, so they'll have that. If there's a super athletic guy, like, well, maybe he'll stay in an extra down or something and get him in that position. But the depth there, it's – Probably, yeah, it's very likely the best out there. And if there's somebody in yeah. late, it's like, man, sorry. I'm just as good as that guy. Who cares? Beat us now. Yeah, you know, even though the pass rush maybe wasn't as prolific as you would have expected it to be last year, you know, by a lot of other metrics, this was a very good defense that did a lot of other things very well. So, I, like, I, I don't want to gloss over that. So, like, for, you know, team stuff rate, for example – was eighth in the country. It was 23.2%. So basically one out of every four plays, they were either stopping uh, opponents at or behind the line. You know, same thing with power success rate. In short yardage situations, they were 13th nationally, 57.1%, 34th in opportunity rate. So this was still a unit that did a lot of things well. And a lot of credit for that goes to the bodies up front. And if they are as good as they were last year, then that can really only mean good things for the linebackers behind them too. And that group could also be pretty special if the defensive line plays up to its potential. No kidding. Defensive line gets in there, gets their hands up, knocks the guys around, opens up specifically open up space. You'll have, you'll have like whoever you want out there to get sacks. Like, like I mentioned the McDonald guys, you Cooper McDonald, Katie McDonald, all these guys back there, upperclassmen guys returning. What do you have? Seven sacks last year in Caden McDonald. Like if that line is as good as we say it's gonna be, Matt, and they have to bust open, they bust open holes, like whew, straight to QB, taking guys out, stuff in the running game. It's I don't know where this team is gonna be, but this linebacking group with who they have returning the experience and those stupid couple guys. Didn't both, I think, make our first team all defensive squad? I, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, both McDonald guys. So it's it's not a shock to have the guys and there, it's just what else is there to say about this team? Like, well, we got more of the advanced stuff there, but they're going to be a unit. Same thing again. That's weird, they're not awkward, but the unique off defense they do. Like, guys will talk about Patrick Morris, guys like that. I see a safety, you can play linebacker. They have enough depth and athletes to we'll put our best football players out there, but, but maybe we'll put this guy out here on a particular situation because he could do something well for our team. And man, it's 
this linebacker group. I don't know. Could, could this be argument this is the best, almost the best linebacker group of the conference, perhaps? I don't see why that isn't typically the case here, yeah. regardless. And even I if mean, it's I mean, they, guys they, back they, or they, not, they're not. I good. mean, they, they're expected to do things that are a little different than other defenses in the conference. But yeah, I think you're, and you mentioned the McDonald brothers. You didn't even mention Cedric Lakalaka or Michael Shawcroft. Not yet. No, wait for you to hop in and get some names out there. Yeah, you know, you know, between the two of them, that's, you know, I think they had 11 tackles for loss between them last year. So, like, this was a group that knew how to attack, same as the defensive line did. I think the biggest question that I have, which which I don't know if it's a question that will make or break this, you know, this unit, but I wonder if they might be deployed differently or if someone in that group might be deployed a little bit differently to help you know, sort of bolster the the team pass rush. And and what I was thinking of was like, you know, past guys like Jake Valley or Miles Burris. Yeah, you know, guys who um are maybe the most the best, most recent example of Kaiba Tazino. You know, guys who from that linebacker spot can get after the quarterback. Because we've seen Caden McDonald do it in particular. But, I, you know, he did a little bit more of it two years ago than he did last year, which is not to say that he wasn't very good last year. He was. But I wonder if they'll if they'll ask him to adjust again and, and and play a role that is more attacking in in more in more different ways. That's just something I, I've been thinking about. Man, attacking even more, that'd be pretty crazy, wouldn't it? <laughs> For what this defense could do. I like yeah. There, there's not much more to add. Like this unit is gonna be killer. This whole defense is gonna be one of their better ones, I think, in a long time. And then when we get to the uh anything else you want to add on this, or should we just hop on through the secondary? And say they're good to handle. Yeah, we can we can move to the secondary because I because I you know I think we both have high hopes for the defense with plenty of good reason. I think if there's I'm not going to call it a red flag, but if I'm thinking of a yellow flag, it's probably the secondary. And yeah, and not, I see that returning all these starters aren't back. The guys are experienced. Well, the, 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 yeah, but say and I, I say that as they're returning like what four different cornerbacks who started games last year. You know, plus you know a trio of, of of safeties who were starting together by the end. So like, it's not to say that like the potential for being very 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 good isn't there, but I I wanted to sort of you know ground this by saying that you know in the same way that we talked about earlier about the quarterback play getting better on offense, mm-hmm. the secondary got pushed a little bit more by better QBs in the second half of the year too which is something I think that's worth keeping an eye on. So I want to go back to that same split that I laid out earlier. So like everything before November and everything from November onward. So those first eight games, the Aztecs allowed a 53.1% completion rate, which on defense, that's very good. 5.5 yards per attempt allowed. And, you know, 11 touchdowns in eight games, that's pretty good. And a 2.9% interception rate, also pretty good. In the last six games, though, 61.7, or excuse me, 61.3% completion rate, 7.1 yards per attempt allowed, 14 touchdowns. And if you're looking for a silver lining and all that, they also had a better interception rate of 3.3%. So, okay. like, I, I, I don't say all that to say that I'm necessarily forecasting doom and gloom, but I say that to, to note that it's easy to forget that they were on the whole, a pretty young unit. And going into 2022, they're still going to be pretty young overall. Like, like you know, Patrick Morris, Dallas Branch, Sidarius Barfield, those three guys are seniors. But, yeah, you know, I believe Noah Tumblin is the only junior 
in in the bunch that is you know that is expected to be sort of a a major player uh, to see a lot of reps. And then most of the other expected contributors, you know, your your CJ Baskervilles, your Noah Avengers, your Dejan Malones, mm-hmm. those guys are still sophomores. And so I say all of that to say that they might have some ups and downs that weren't necessarily part of last year's narrative that could theoretically like hold that, you know, cause them to lose a game or two that they might've won last year. But it might also be that like, you know, they play as good as advertised and, and, you know, maintain their, you know, their adeptness at yeah, creating turnovers and things like that. And, you know, if they, if they give up a, you know, a one or two more big plays per game, they're also creating one or two more big plays per game too. So there's a lot of promise here, but I think there's also the potential that it, it may take a little more time than you might think for everything to come together at its peak. Well, for them, they have Arizona week, like Arizona, not supposed to be better, not great. Idaho state, they have at least two games to Arizona good talent wise or recruit recruiting wise, probably a pretty good matchup, but not obviously execution. Amazing. That great. And then Idaho mm-hmm. state. So give them a little mm-hmm. bit of time to, before they play Toledo and Utah. Yeah. And now is it time to mourn a new kicker since they're gonna never gonna live up the expectations of uh, Matt Ariza for next year? Butter. Yeah, I mean we, we talk about regression, and <laughs> and this is like this is no disrespect to Jack Browning, but he's stepping in a yeah. he's stepping into a very difficult circumstance. Exactly. And and I and and it's not for the reasons that you might think. You know, like what we talked about at the beginning was like field position was a huge component of what made San Diego State so good last year. Yeah. But you know, if there's a drop off of, uh, you know, I don't know what ten percent, twenty percent, that could be pretty substantial all yeah. the way around. And so, you know, if if he is good but not record setting great in the same way that Matariza was last year. You know, that opens up a whole host of questions. Like, for example, like would San Diego State try to be more aggressive in short guarded situations? And, and as an example of that, you know, they weren't necessarily the most aggressive team on fourth downs last year, but they converted for 60% of their fourth down tries. You know, I think it was a 14 out of 20, if I'm not mistaken. And that was second in the Mountain West. You know, do they try fewer field goals from range? Like we mentioned earlier, they had the longest field goal tries on average of any team in the country. Do they ask Browning to do that? Or do they change their offensive philosophy just a little bit? Same thing with touchdown, or not touchdown, touchback rates on kickoffs. Last year, Matt Ariza was over 80%. I think it was like 82.6%. That's a very high bar to try and ask someone to match. If it comes down a little bit, then that could change a number of facets of the, the defensive game plan in particular. But the good news is they at least they got Jordan Burt back. Yeah, that's how one returns the kicks, right? He's he's still looking pretty good. So at least in one respect, they will probably be fine. And I would and I would also caution betting heavily against Browning, too, because you know, even before Ariza, like it's easy to forget they also had other specialists who were pretty 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 good in their own rights you know your brandon heiklins and guys like that uh, your tanner Coolchins. so all which, all of which is to say t, the the tldl version of it uh you know browning can be good he doesn't have to be record setting good to do to give this this special teams unit exactly what it needs 
Exactly. All right, schedule time? Let's do it. All right, so their schedule. Here's what's great. We've been messing around, discussing, kind of bringing up the uh, Snapdragon Stadium, which is uh, going to be open for week one. It's probably open before. Isn't there some event? Was there a concert that already happened there that's going to happen there before the season starts, actually? Was it a concert or was it a soccer game? I don't know. There, it, unfortunately, unfortunately, it won't be the first event itself, but it's their home opener. They're not playing road games up in Carlsbad like they have the past couple of years. They open up versus Arizona on CBS, regular CBS. 130 kick where it'll be, it'll be hot. But that place is going to be – even if, if Arizona was really good this year, I would still lean Aztecs. I mean, they've had a home game in forever. Like, they're going to be – I don't know what sellout crowd will be, but it's going to be a very rosterous crowd. That's going to play a big, big part in my um, prediction in this game. Yeah, and, I mean, Arizona's probably not going to be great, but they also really can't be any worse than they were last year. They showed a little bit better at the end. They got better, but still. The, the only team they beat last year was Cal, and that was because Cal was depleted by COVID protocols. I was and, a little and, oh, scared to play Utah in the first they, half. They only, they, only play, they only scored 10 points against Cal yeah. and won that game 10-3. to three. And somehow Justin um, Wilcox is still the head coach there in Cal. Yeah, but, but you know, Jet Fish, <laughs> to his credit, as, as I would say, won over Wildcats fans from, you know, at least a little bit with his work this offseason. Um, you know, they put together a very strong recruiting class. You know, they've got at least one wide receiver, uh, Tatayaroa McMillan, who, if, if memory serves, he's like the best recruit that they have ever brought in. You know, the, the kind of guy that he might step in and start right away for this yeah, team. They, they, the recruiting was quite well this year. And they also brought in a lot of really interesting pieces from the transfer portal too. Like, you know, I would, I would imagine that Jaden Delora, who was formerly at Washington state is probably going to be the starter, but he's mm-hmm. still going to have to win the job over three guys who split time under center last year, you know, Will Plummer, Jordan McLeod, Connor Cruz, you know, that that's going to be a whole ordeal to, to figure out, but if they can resolve that, they've got some interesting pieces on offense. You know, Michael Wiley is a solid running back, you know, over yeah. his first two years, he I believe he averaged over five yards carry, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you know, he and Drake Anderson are pretty good. Uh, they also brought in Jacob Cowing from UTEP. Um, you know, we saw him a couple times last year. In his three years with the minors, he averaged over 18 yards a catch. So he's basically one of the best big play receivers anywhere in the country. He'd be the best um, player on their team, possibly. Yeah, so I mean, Arizona is not going to be a great team, and, and they've also got some some decent players on defense as well. You know, Chris Roland Wallace is a solid cornerback. Kion Bars can probably get in the backfield and make some waves. But honestly, like I would be shocked if San Diego State won this game at home with with the home field advantage that they're finally going to have, um, with the talent advantage that they should have. Um, especially on defense, I think they should be able to put the clamps on the Wildcats and, and win the game pretty not not to say handily but they should win it comfortably i would say yeah i could say like a 24 10 win or something plus also dr blitz ever took over the umass head coaching job so he's not around not around either yeah but we'll see how the wildcat defense will go but yeah it's a 1-0 victory for me idaho states 2-0 did you do something on the are they the Bengals? is that my contribution yeah, the Bengals. Yes. okay i got that right they're in Pocatello, they're, they're idaho, bad last year they're always bad, so that's why there's not much to say. So, so I'm listing locations and mascots. 
Yeah, well, I can give a, I can give an abbreviated FCS minute at least. Um, you know, they were bad. There's really no getting around that, which is why they brought in a new head coach, Charlie Regal, um, who is inheriting what you might charitably call a mess. um and you know that you know just case in point you know they had injuries that really compounded their quarterback situation last year they ended up having three guys start games i believe including former wyoming quarterback tyler vanderwall who is probably going to be the front runner again if he can stay healthy um but they've got some pieces you know they've got a a rock solid center taron carey who could be a big sky all-conference type performer Charles Ek, linebacker, could be a, pr- a pretty, you know, a pretty pretty good tackling machine. But again, this game should not be close. Like if you're looking for the game with the widest margin of victory in non-conference play, this one should be on your short list. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. All right. Then they get two and zero. Then they go to Utah, which, oh boy, I need to. Uh, if I'm available, I need to go to this game in person because it's going to be a good one. Because last year they went down to freaking Carlsbad. It was a what? Carson. Or, oh, why did I say Carlsbad? Okay, sorry. I don't want to get that. Carson, California. Sorry. Carlsbad's more, way more south. Carson and went triple overtime. Utah benches their quarterback. They finally come, they bring them in, makes it a closer, but San Diego State's defense just shut down Utah. This Utah team, they're, oof. They, Cam Rice returns to quarterback. Tavion Thomas running back. They have some tight ends. They literally have no wide receivers. They're, Kind of these two teams, like like I mentioned last year, mirror images of each other essentially. Great running game, good tight end work, amazing defense, and that's what this game will be. Um, I want I think Utah has a touch more because like they have Clark Phillips in the secondary, he'll mm-hmm. most likely be matched up with Jesse Matthews, and that'll be a really good matchup to watch. I'd give the edge to Phillips because he's projected to like all American in a couple spots, but Aztecs don't throw enough to make it because that's an interesting matchup. We'll get to more in the game, but if he's locked down, Matthews are like. He's not, in my opinion, and you can probably, I don't know if you agree or not, Matt, but he's not going to make a break if they win a game or not. So if he gets like two catchers for 22 yards, that's not a big deal in this game. We talked about that offensive line earlier. That offensive line is going to get tested against this huge defensive front. Oh, yeah. Because yes. no, Devin Lloyd's not there anymore, but Junior Tafuna was, and correct me if I'm wrong, he was mm-hmm. the Pac 12's freshman of the year last year. Yes, he will be amazing. They bring in, oh, I can never say this guy's name. Like they bring the leading tackler from Florida who's played linebackers, basically going to step in for Devin Lloyd. I don't think he'll be as good as Lloyd, but um, oh, it's Manto something. That's right. I, I, Manu, I, I had his name in front of me. I should know it better, but they bring him transfer from Florida. But the whole defense, yeah, Junior Tafu, all these guys they have. It's, Are you it's talking about Muhammad Diabiti? Diabiti? Yeah, yeah, Muhammad. Yeah, Muhammad. I, yeah, I don't know why I said Manto, whatever. Yeah, Muhammad, him, he's coming in. I don't know why he left Florida. Could have been when Billy Napier was brought in or new, getting rid of um, what's his name, um, uh, Dan Mullen. There, I'm not for sure. I'm not sure, but they always bring in guys. Yeah, losing their best defensive player ever. That's a good, that's a big concern for any team. But they always have the depth. Kyle Woodingham, Morgan Scholar, their coaches. They're and they're not going to be playing like I mean, if people watch Rose Bowl and they're listening to this for a minute. Their secondary got torched. Yes, they're playing CJ Stroud, Ohio State, but they played backup running backs and true freshman cornerbacks to play defensive back. So that's not going to be the case. I was going to say, they're also playing like what, two or three first round NFL wide receiver draft picks too in that game. Well, Marvin Harrison Jr. They didn't even have the best guys playing. Like I think Chris Olave and somebody else sat out, but it was a, it was a tough go, but any running back, come on, that's, that's tough to play secondary when you're like asked for a week into it, a week into the game or something. But overall, like these teams are mirror images of each other. 
I would say quarterback edge Utah, running back edge Utah, just because David Thomas played. But last year, Aztec fans, remember, he was fumbleitis back there. He could hold on to the ball, and he got benched early on. So we'll see how that goes. But with it being at Utah, I'd give Utah a slight edge to win the game. But I would not be shocked if Aztecs go in there and beat Utah again. That would not be an overly surprising result for me. But I think Utah should win by maybe about 10 points. Maybe. Yeah, I think the Utes are probably going to get their measure of revenge. I have this one as Plus, a loss as well. Yeah, and if you know Kyle, what do they have back in the Mountain West? Who's this team? Like, they want motivation. Losing is the easiest thing to do. All right, then they got they have Toledo, uh, the roundup non-conference play in the MAC. I have a win because it's at home, but Toledo, like, they're typically a MAC team that's in the running where they are winning the conference or being close to the top of the conference in the league. And a couple guys of like, like their best players probably. What Jamal Hines, you'd say their linebacker has been an all Mac multiple times. They have pretty quarterback in Daquan Finn, who only had two interceptions last year. Not too bad playing quarterback. So this will be a tough challenge again with a different type of style of play than they'll face against Utah the week before. You know, Toledo is like if San Diego State existed in the upside down. <laughs> exactly. Or, or sort of like two sides of the same coin because. You know, if, if San Diego State wanted to look at an example of like how of a team that did almost exactly the same kind of thing that the Aztecs themselves did last year and had vastly different results, <laughs> take a look at these Rockets because they were a little better overall on offense. You know, by, by SP Plus, they were 65th and they weren't quite as good on defense. They were 21st defensive SP Plus. But you know how we talked about earlier, San Diego State was 6-0 in one-score games? Mm-hmm. Uh, Toledo was 0-5 in one-score games. Basically UNLV of the uh, the MAC. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, so so yes, it was a team that has a lot of, that had a lot of talent, returned a lot of talent, especially on defense. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned Jamal Hines, but they've got like a bunch of guys who could step up and be impact players. Um, you know, Deontay Johnson, just, just uh, Des, John, Des Juan Johnson. There you go. You know, those two guys, I think, had what, 13 and a half TFLs and I think something like seven or eight sacks between them. Like, they had nine, very, nine, yeah. mm-hmm. they've got a very experienced and dangerous front that, you know, when these two teams get together, like, this is why. I've got my eye on this game as one of the games that I'm looking forward to the most this year. It's because these two teams do almost exactly the same thing. And a lot is going to depend on, on Finn and his ability to take a step forward. Cause you mentioned, you know, 18 touchdowns, two interceptions. Um, but he's also a guy who's a little ran. bit of a dual threat quarterback as well. You know, only completed 57% yards. of his passes, but he also ran for 500 yards after adjusting, after adjusting for sacks. Mm-hmm. And, oh, by the way, he had nine touchdowns on the ground as well. Their biggest questions, one, who's going to step up and replace Bryant Kobach? You know, because uh, that dude ran for 1,400 yards and 15 touchdowns last year. Somebody's going to have to step up and, and, and take on that workload. Um, also, they do return their number one receiver, Devin Maddox, who had 41 catches, 567 yards, and four touchdowns last year. Um, he is the only pass catcher among their top six pass catchers excuse me uh, one two three i'm making sure i count this correctly. yeah he's the only one of their top six pass catchers back for 2022 so there's going to be a lot of new targets going around 
And like the Aztecs, they've also got an offensive line that's that looks like it might skew pretty young too. So this strikes me as exactly the kind of like defensive fist fight that Aztecs fans should be able to fully appreciate. Yeah, and I got I'm going to win for San Diego State because it's at home. But this will be one heck of a game to watch, a fun one. I like Toledo's offense a little bit more. That's why I have it as a loss. Ooh, at home, cross country. At home. Okay, all right. Uh, now let's go to the conference. Not conference level. We'll kind of group these together, like we like we've been doing. So they have the. How's it? We'll just actually let's start with this one, then we'll group together. At Boise State, first conference game of the year. That's a big one for the for these two teams. And remember the Mount. Well, I guess Mount is doing it down the road. Division, not division things. Everybody's changing. But that game on the road. It'll be a matchup where Aztecs want to go. And, like, we don't care. They want to beat Boise as much as they want to beat anybody in the schedule. And that's what will make for this game interesting. And then we know we'll get Boise State preview. We'll talk about that Matt, and everything. That's the big thing for Boise. What? Stephen Cobb's number one wide receiver after Kalisha Kier is gone. Listen to other podcasts. We talked about all this. Hank Bachmeyer starting. Is George Lonnie going to be healthy and good? Offensive line healthy and good? And that offensive line, offensive line mount is not uh, up to par? Well, probably bye-bye Boise State. I mean, this is, these are two teams that have been pretty even over the last decade or so. And, and San Diego State actually owns the series lead in that is time. Four to one? Is it what, four to four one? To three. Four, oh, four to three. Oh, sorry. I gave them two big yeah. leads, four to three. I do yeah, remember going, going, going back to 2011, and they've, won, and they've won the last two. So what, with this, Boise has a bit more experience at certain positions. I guess quarterback the most important. But overall, it's – I think also boy receivers would be a big point in this game for boy state. Like I mentioned, Cobb is going to be the number one guy. Can Bachmeyer be upright? Those are the, it's the same questions we have for boy all year until we play a game. What we're going to question all summer. Polani's ankle. Is he healthy? Can he play line cement cement to the same guys every week? Who's going to be this player in defense always come, kind of comes out of nowhere, but. Well, here's what I think I, the question is. I trust San Diego state more. That's where I'm getting at. Whose offensive line do you trust more? San Diego State. If I were putting my money, I'd put it on San Diego State. I don't think that's a that's an easy question. Boy, she's just injuries. It's unfortunate, unlock, and it probably will change. But with the amount of starters they have, guys who actually played together last year, even though they lost two NFL guys, those other three back, they'll be good to go. And I trust them. And that's that's a big part of the game. And you know how it is. You protect the quarterback. You run the ball. If the offensive line's there, it's simple. I just think San Diego State overall is a better team. Yeah, I think they're going to win that game on the blue. That'll be so fun to watch. I'll be good. good. Then we have Hawaii at Nevada, at Fresno, then home to UNLV. So two of the next four at home, two of the next four on the road, obviously. Out of that stretch, Hawaii shouldn't be a problem. Nevada with all their new stuff shouldn't be a problem. UNLV could be frisky because how it was last year. What was it, 38-30? It's, at, it's in San Diego State, and most of the Rebels will be, but – I only see them losing to Fresno State that stretch because that'll be another one of the that'll be a Goliath offense first defensive matchup for the most part, and that's the under that stretch. Fresno is the only game I'm not confident in the money. No, I think they'll beat the Bulldogs too. Man, you hate your team so much. <laughs> I, I mean, I, honestly, I think we could probably save everybody a little bit of trouble. Why you got for we already said you got Fresno State. What, what in, we're losing that game? I think they're going to run the table in conference play. You do? Yeah. 
I think this is the only game, like not the only game, but that's we'll just skip ahead and finish it really quick here. Fresno State's my only conference loss because San Jose State probably better, but it's at home. And even though the past couple of years, Spartans given them all they can handle, even when before the Spartans got good, like winning the conference title and going to bowl games, New Mexico not a problem. Air Force will be a tricky one, but the three conference games don't really matter. You probably agree with me for Air Force, Fresno State, and not Boise State. Those are definitely the toughest three tests. Yeah. Nothing else comes close, in my opinion. San Jose State's a distance fourth. So, why do you have them beating? Um, give you your quick uh, thing on Fresno State. Why do you have them in that game winning? Well, I mean, it's, it's the same question that I just had for Boise State. Which offensive line do you trust more? Okay. And I think if there's one thing that could hold the Bulldogs back, it's their ability to withstand you know, whatever pass rush the Aztecs can throw at them. So like they might be explosive, they might have more talent on offense, but how is that going to matter if you have defenders up in your face every time you drop back to pass? That's true. No, that's a fair point. My leaning, because I have them losing that game, San Diego State, the offense, too much. Fresno State, Jay Kaner, Jordan Mims, those guys are too much side defense. But it doesn't mean it won't be like a 21-17 game where it's super close, comes down last last drive, Whoever gets a field goal and not touchdowns, especially against the uh, Aztec mm. defense, if it's field goals, that's a problem. I like the offense more in that game, and I think they can get more done. But that's it's going to be – it's a heck of a game. Then Air Force, oh, man, it's – I think typically Air Force late in the year is easier to beat because they're kind of banged up for through doing. That's kind of a cop-out to say right now, middle of summer, month before the season starts, two months essentially, or less than that, that they'll be hurt and injured. But – I just don't think Air Force has enough to stop San Diego State. And that's kind of late in the year. That's, we do need to consider that, though. Not that it really means much of anything, but do you realize Air Force hasn't beaten San Diego State since 2009? Really? Really. How many times have they played, though? Because they're opposite they played. They played nine times. And they're 0-9 or 9-0, however you want to put it. Yeah, and which is, which is not to say that the Aztecs have gone out and beaten the brakes off of the Falcons every single time. Like no. the, the last four games have all been decided by six or fewer points. So like it's it's often like must see television when these two teams get together. And you know I have very high expectations of the Falcons. I think if you if you listen to our, our Air Force podcast, uh, you are probably already aware of that. And if not, you can go back and listen to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I think both of these teams, if they can stay healthy, you know, uh, you know, if you if you think about, for example, what our as a group, our projected standings were for, um, for the who as a group we thought we were going to win the divisions, right? We picked Boise State mm-hmm. and we picked Fresno State. Yeah. Um, I guess I could just give it away because I don't think it's spoiler alert at this point. I didn't vote for either of those teams. San Diego State or Boise State. I, uh, Fresno State. Oh, Fresno State. State. I, I voted for I voted for Air Force and I voted for San Diego State. I think I put I think I put Air Force Fresno. I don't recall. I know I put Fresno for sure. Those are those are all completely right answers. Like I I don't have, oh, I should pull the voting in front of me, but go check it out. It's on our front page at mwr.com of how I voted. But San Diego State, there's there'd be no shock. Like, we go through the divisions, the West is kind of dropping back with Nevada changing everything. Hawaii breaking everything in new with Timmy Chang. It's really going to be Fresno, San Diego State, and unless San Jose State does something weird, right? It's not a shock. 
No. So that's why it'll be interesting. Like it's one of those two teams. So to wrap up my non-conference, that, we'll see if that that undefeated streak ends. I apparently both of us think it's going to keep going, ten and zero. But that'll be a tough game too because if Zeke Daniels is playing as well as he can, that'll be a tricky one for him to stop. The triple option yeah. offense is very unique and tr- different and unique and just hard to go against. But I have them ten and two overall, losing at Utah, at Fresno State. What do you have, Matt? I have met ten and two as well. Uh, eight no in conference with Toledo and a Utah loss, right? Yes. If they go, let's wrap up with this. If they're city, they do win your conference, like you kind of projected. If they're just 12 and one, the only loss to Utah, are they getting that near the cotton ball spot, near six spot? Hard to say. What's what if Utah's a playoff team? I mean, honestly, I, I I think with that resume, the very first team that makes me think of is last year's, like for example, the the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They were, yeah, they lost to Texas, went eleven to one or whatever, twelve and one. Yeah, they ended up going thirteen and one, but they didn't 13. really have that sort of defining win. Yeah, but they also lost like a bad Texas team. <laughs> if they can run the table, though, anything can happen. They run the table for sure. I think they have a decent chance because Boise State's going to be pretty good. Fresno, if they beat Fresno State, they'll be pretty ranked pretty high. So I'd, I'd still give them like a, I'd give them a pretty good chance because we've seen one. I, I mean, personally, there. personally, I think, I think, I think some people are maybe overselling the potential defensive regression and they're underselling the offensive progression. I well, think the offense is going to be a little bit better than it was last year. It's with the new the players, defense, I think it's hard to say. And I, and I think the defense, even if it suffers a little bit of drop off, you know, I think that that offensive improvement is going to make up for it. And so I think it might. my expectation is that San Diego State should be just as serious a contender as they were last year. They should be. I think the question offense take a step back, new running backs, new quarterbacks. I think that's it. And pass yeah. catchers are gone, but it's a big good team regardless. So check us out. On our, on our written work, mwr.com, all the podcast stuff, subscribe, whatever, give us a little thumbs up or likes, just let us know, hey, it's awesome, we're doing a good job, and we'll be back again sooner than later this next time, and we'll be cramming in through these previews, because we are, what, four, 50 days, essentially, six weeks, we're getting, or seven, we're getting close, I don't see, Matt, I don't want to say a time frame, because it's an on-demand audio medium, so we're getting there, we're done about, we're halfway through our previews, essentially, so we'll be back next time and just, yeah, check it out and uh, vote on Twitter, MWC Wire, to uh, help us select our next team. We'll see you then.